0: Thank you, uh, Pastor Leo, and uh, I'm really grateful to be with you all today. Um, before I read the text, I know you all have been working through uh, Luke's gospel and his account of the crucifixion, so today we're going to step back and spend our time together in Psalm 22. Um, yesterday I, and well over the past couple days, I've Really enjoyed getting to know many of you. I've gotten to hang out with, uh, I don't know, maybe not quite half of you, but maybe close to half of you. And uh, so I'm so thankful for what God is doing in this church. So let's turn our attention now to God's word, to Psalm 22. And I'm going to read the whole psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry to you. I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you. At my mother's breasts, on you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot and My tongue sticks to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray now that you would meet us as we reflect on this psalm, as we reflect on David's experience, as we reflect on the experience of our Lord Jesus, and as we reflect on the realities in our own life, I pray that we would be filled with hope in you. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. You can be seated. Now this psalm is 30-some verses, and there's a lot that we could unpack here. And so the way I want to approach it is by walking through the major movements of the psalm. So this sermon is more of a reflection on the movements of the psalm and its ultimate fulfillment in Christ than a detailed, exegetical unpacking of every nuance of the psalm. But I think... We can see the overview of the whole psalm, and as we see the whole psalm and its fulfillment, not just in the life of King David, but in our Lord Jesus, I pray that we'll see both true lament and sorrow and what that looks like, but also vindication and salvation You may have noticed as we read through the psalm, it kind of moves between lament and hope. Verses 1 and 2 begin, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then in verse 3, there's this transitional statement, Yet you are holy. And then in verses 6 through 8, you have this lament, I am a worm and not a man. But then verses 9 and 10, Yet you are he who took me from my mother's womb. Verses 11 through 18 be not far off, trouble is near. And then verses 19 through 31, but you, O Lord, are not far off. So as David, the psalmist, moves back and forth between sorrow and fear, expressions of faith and hope in God's covenant promises and expressions of sorrow and pain. We can be reminded of this important reality that sorrow, lament, and pain in this life, first of all, does not necessarily mean that we are failing to trust God. And more importantly, it does not mean that God is not at work in our lives and in our circumstances. As we walk through this psalm, and even see its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. I hope we see both the true pain and agony that this psalm expresses, and we learn something about how we can express that ourselves. But more than that, that we would see the exaltation of seeing God work to deliver his people. Now, if you've been around the church for very long, and if you've been listening carefully as you walk through Luke's passion narrative, you can't read this psalm without thinking of the crucifixion. There there are connections to Luke 23. And this psalm has even more connections to Matthew's gospel. So forgive me if I make more connections to Matthew than Luke, even though you're walking through Luke. I'm going to make a few references to both of those gospels. But in Matthew 27, uh, Matthew kind of structures this section of his gospel around Psalm 22. He actually works backward, quoting from each of the lament sections in the psalm. So first of all, Psalm 22:18 18, and Matthew 27, 35. Psalm 22, 7 and 8, in verses 39 and 43. And then of course, Psalm 22, one and Matthew 27.46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's showing us, what he's trying to put a big sign out there for us to see is that Jesus fulfills the whole psalm. But as he focuses on these three lament sections, I think he's helping us see the structure of the psalm even as well, what we've just kind of walked through. So, the way I'd like to approach this psalm is to briefly look at each of these lament sections. See what's going on in the psalm. See what's going on in their fulfillment in Matthew's gospel. And then try to tie some of it together in terms of how we walk in these, the steps of King David and our Lord Jesus. So as we look at these three sections, we should also remember... The original psalm itself, it was written by King David, as I've said several times. He's under attack from his enemies. Oftentimes in the psalms, we have some kind of superscription describing the the circumstances of the uh, life of David while he was writing the psalm. We don't have that in this psalm. But certainly we know that David, the king of Israel, the Lord's anointed one, was threatened by his enemies. If you know the story of King David's life, you know there are several points in his life. When he's running from King Saul, when he's uh, usurped by his son Absalom, uh, he had enemies seeking him out, seeking his life. Other times when he's battling with the nations. And in the midst of this threat, whatever threat it was, he knows the pain and sorrow and feels a real sense of hopelessness, yet he does not give up hope altogether. Even in his feeling of hopelessness, he knows that his hope is secure. So let's look at the first lament, this cry of abandonment in verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like I said, whatever the circumstances in David's life while he's writing this, he's feeling pain and sorrow to such a degree that he felt abandoned by God. God delayed delivering David long enough for him to feel the pain of his circumstances pinching in on him And I think that was the very purpose of the delay. There's a purpose in David's suffering that he might cry out to the Lord. This is, as you know, I suspect, the Psalms are the songbook of the people of God through the centuries. Israel sung the Psalms. The church has sung the Psalms over and over and over again. So this is the cry of the people of God when they feel God is far from them, when they cannot see light at the end of the tunnel, when they feel all hope is lost. Maybe you've felt that before. Maybe you feel it right now. You feel like there's no earthly hope in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. But let's not forget that the Lord Jesus felt the same and even more as he walked his footsteps to the cross. He felt agony and sorrow. He felt all that the enemies of God could throw at him. He endured in those moments more than any other human has ever endured. He felt the full weight of this sinful world, in that moment where he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But even in that moment, that was not just a cry of agony. That was not just a random expression. Even in that moment, it was a cry of faith. Because the Lord Jesus knew this psalm, the writers of the Gospels knew this psalm, Jesus was not crying out those words without the whole psalm in view. That's what Matthew is is pointing us toward. He keeps going back to Psalm 22. He wants us to know Jesus has this psalm on his mind. I have this psalm, Matthew would think, on my mind as I'm writing this. So that cry of agony is a cry of faith. It's pointing us back to the whole picture of the psalm, both lament and vindication, both suffering and and salvation. And so this is the pattern for God's people from King David to the Lord Jesus and then even to us so that we can say in our moments of greatest pain that God is for us. We, we can make our moments of greatest agony our moments of greatest faith. When we are entering into this psalm alongside of our Lord who has walked before us, because we know that this psalm that begins with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ends with this confident cry that all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All of the families of the nations shall worship before him. Because in our moments of pain and sorrow. Our faith is put to the test, yes, but also our faith is strengthened as we learn to rely on the Lord when we have nothing else to rely on. If you've walked the Christian life long enough, you've come to moments where you say, all I have right now to rely on is the Lord. And he meets us in those moments. And so I call all of us, myself included, to find our hope in the Lord. In those moments when a relationship seems broken, when circumstances seem unfixable, when our sin seems to overwhelm us, we rely on the Lord, we cry out to him with the confidence that is not the end of the story. Jesus himself wanted us to understand that cry of abandonment in the context of the whole psalm. So let's keep doing that by moving to the second cry of lament in verses 6 through 8. Begins I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. You see these sections that are quoted in Matthew 27. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. They're mocking. They're mocking David. They're mocking the Lord Jesus. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. So this is another aspect of David's lament. The enemies of the Lord's anointed king are mocking his faith. Notice David has not abandoned his faith in the Lord. Even in moments of sorrow and pain, he's holding fast to the promises of God. But his enemies are mocking that faith. They're despising his trust in the Lord. They say, This guy believes that God will deliver him, that God will vindicate him. Well, let's see it happen. I'm standing here, David. It doesn't look good for you. But David resolutely trusted in the Lord. In Luke's account of Jesus' crucifixion, in Luke 23, 35, the crowds say, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, The very words of Psalm 22 are repeated in the mouths of the chief priests and the elders in Matthew 27, 43. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. The enemies of God's anointed king could not understand that that God's saving work is not at our beck and call. We don't snap our fingers and expect God to show up like a blue genie coming out of the the, uh, lamp in Aladdin. May God keep us from the mentality that if he doesn't work in the ways we expect him to work, then we have a right to walk away from him. I think many people walk away from the Lord Jesus, not not because he has let them down, but because he has not been the kind of God they want him to be. They walk away from the Lord, not because his promises have somehow been broken, but because they want a different set of promises. They expect him to be docile, tame, and safe. But, sorry to go to a Christian cliche here, but as Mr. Beaver famously said in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, who said anything about safe? course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And so we can say that about our Lord Jesus. It is not safe to follow him, but it is good to follow him. So we can trust in the Lord and delight in him with the confidence that he will accomplish his purposes in us in the way that he deems best, which is not safe, kind of scary, but it's the best thing for us. So if others around us are mocking our patience and calling us crazy for trusting the Lord against what they see as insurmountable obstacles, we can wait in the middle of pain and sadness and confusion knowing that the Lord will keep his promises. The irony here is that as The enemies of God are mocking the Lord's anointed. They were actually expressing exactly what would happen. The Lord would deliver him. That was true in the life of King David. That was true in the life of the Lord Jesus. And it's true in our life. Now, that doesn't mean we get out of jail free cards. But we can have confidence that the Lord will accomplish his purposes. And he will deliver us. One way or another, we will see his face and dwell with him forever. So there's another expression of hope that follows on the heels of this second lament section. And then we move to the third lament section in verses 12 through 18. Many bulls of Bashan, or excuse me, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me they divide my garments and for my clothing they cast lots so in this section the danger the threat seems to go beyond mere threats to actual defeat and death even verse 16 says they have pierced my hands and my feet so i think particularly in this third lament David is pointing beyond himself to someone who would feel the full weight of the defeat he's describing here. You see, at this point in the psalm, we're not looking at a feeling of abandonment or a threat of danger. The Lord's anointed king was actually, it seems, defeated and killed. So what's going on here? You read the Old Testament David died in his bed at an old age. His enemies didn't get to him. They didn't pierce his hands and his feet. Well, I think the Apostle Peter gives us insight into what's going on here in Acts 2. You don't have to turn there. I know we're kind of jumping around Gospels, Psalms, Gospel Psalms, so just hang in. Um, But in Acts 2, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. He quotes from Psalm 16, a different psalm. He says of David, Therefore, being a prophet, he foresaw and spoke of the Christ. So I think Derek Kidner, who wrote a commentary on the Psalms, is right to say the language of this psalm, Psalm 22, defies a natural explanation. The best account is in the terms used by Peter in Acts 2. You see, the psalm is telling us, it's speaking of the Lord's anointed king who is not just threatened by his enemies, he's actually defeated by them. Or so they thought. As you read through the psalm, you can see all of these details that sound familiar, right? That you can see them in Matthew 27. The Lord Jesus is thirsting. His hands and feet are pierced. We talked about the gloating over him, the dividing his garments, casting lots for his clothes, Matthew 27, 35. Notice how how those enemies are described in Psalm 22, bulls and lions and dogs. This is common language in the Bible to refer to the enemies of God's people. In both Daniel and Revelation, the enemies of God's people are symbolized as a beast coming out of the sea. You see, the sea represents the chaos that the Lord brings under his sovereign authority. Beasts represent the, uh, the nations who are not submitting to the Lord's rule. So it's typically beasts are representing Gentile kings who are out to get Israel. But when you go to Matthew... Matthew's account of the crucifixion, notice who the beasts are. They are the chief priests, the elders of the people. They are the very people who were supposed to lead Israel to greater hope and faithfulness to the Lord. But in the Gospels, they play the part of the Gentile nations, the nations that threaten God's people all throughout The Old Testament. And you see, this is the very reason why the Lord Jesus had to go to the cross because the people of God failed to follow the Lord as they should have. They failed to remain faithful to Him. They were sinners who needed their sin atoned for. The animal sacrifices of the law that we see all throughout the Old Testament would never be enough. They needed a a sacrifice that would be finally and fully sufficient. A few centuries after David, the prophet Isaiah would write, calling us a different kind of animal, sheep who have gone astray, who have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so when the Lord Jesus cried out, it is finished, as we see in the gospel accounts, He was proclaiming that he had done what the sacrifices of the law could not do, what God's people could not do on their own, what Israel failed to do over and over again, what Adam failed to do, what all the Gentile nations have failed to do, what you and I have failed to do. He remained faithful unto death and through death for us. Now, I've met a lot of you over the last couple days. I don't know all of you. So maybe you've heard the gospel dozens of times, maybe you're hearing it for the first time today, but regardless, my cry for all of us is that we would hope in Jesus. Turn from your sin, hope in Jesus. He alone is our hope and our deliverer. He alone is our redeemer. Put your faith in him alone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So finally then, in the last part of the psalm, uh, verses 21 through 28, we see this great vindication. It begins, out, begins with one more cry. Save me from the mouth of the lion, but immediately you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. So on the other side of death, it seems that the Lord's anointed has been delivered. Delivered. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You see this quoted elsewhere in the New Testament as well. Um, uh, Verse 25, From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. So, even as David was expressing the laments that we've seen all throughout this psalm, he was doing it with the faith expressed in the rest of the psalm. Even as the Lord Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He also knew that the his father would not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted, that he would be rescued from the horns of the wild oxen who were piercing him with their horns. The word horns fell out of my brain for a second. So the pattern of this psalm teaches us then a lot about how we can and should lament in faith. So by way of application, I just want to think through this for a minute. The Psalms, like I said earlier, are the cries of the people of God from King David to the Lord Jesus to us today. Because we are united by faith in the Lord Jesus, we share in the experience of this Psalm And we can lament as the Lord Jesus teaches us to. Sometimes we don't feel like we should express the kind of things that are uh, articulated in this psalm. Because we know uh, theologically, you know, I've talked to to a number of you. And I'm thankful for the the theological uh, acumen of this church. And the desire to read good theology, to talk about uh, theological ideas at the king's house the other night. We were all into it about the millennium. Raymond can straighten you out on that. So we, we, it feels uh, inappropriate for us to say, God has forsaken me. E- even if we feel that, we, we know enough theologically to say, oh, I shouldn't say that. We, we also know emotionally how we would feel if somebody we loved accused them of abandoning them. So it feels kind of unloving or just wrong for us to speak this way. So even if we do feel forsaken in that moment, our head and our heart keep us from being honest in our prayers. But that often then means we either won't pray at all or we won't be honest when we pray. And this is why these Psalms of Lament are so helpful for us, for me. They help us to keep praying even in our low moments. They keep us from treating God as if His emotions are as fragile as mine are or something like that. So these Psalms teach us to express our hearts to God. If our hearts are full of hope and joy, Tell God about it. If your heart is broken, tell him about it. He's not as fragile as you are. If you don't know how to express your emotions to God, the psalms can help. So these psalms, like Psalm 22, teach us how to pray with honesty, but they also teach us how to pray with hope. So I'm not saying just give up hope and say whatever to the Lord. I'm saying as the psalmist does, express yourself to, to God knowing that He will deliver you. So don't just leave it at lament. Remember vindication. But we, we tend to just rush through lament. We don't lament well in our culture, in our day and age. Uh, I have a friend who's a pastor on Maui, and uh, I flew over there the week after the fires back in August. And one of the... It's a really wise thing he did. He said, we need to just spend time as a church and as a community lamenting. So they held several services of lament for the community there in uh, West Maui. And I think that's a wise and biblical pattern. So I'm not saying we rush through lament. We express our hearts to God So I don't know what suffering or pain you came here with. This weekend, I've learned a little more about some of the things that you've walked through as a church. So I suspect that many of you are better at this than I am. I'm not sure what hard things you're walking through right now or what you will face in the days ahead. But I can say with confidence at least two things. First of all, All of us will face suffering in this world. All of us probably have. On this side of the new creation, we will sin and we will be sinned against. We will deal with disease and death and broken relationships so we can lament honestly to the Lord and tell him our pain, our sorrow in those moments. But then secondly, I have confidence that the Lord Jesus himself will walk with you through those things because he has walked through them himself even to the point of death. And he has come out the other side victorious over death itself. And so all of us who are united by faith to our Lord Jesus share in that same victory so we can lament and hope. Hope that Whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, that is not the last word. The Lord Jesus will vindicate us. We will stand with him in the last day, with every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation, and praise him together. So even in those dark moments, let's put our hope in the Lord, who rules over all things, even death itself. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have overcome the grave. Thank you that you have walked the path of suffering ahead of us. So you are not an unsympathetic high priest, but you are with us in those moments of pain and sorrow. So help us to learn to lament well, Help us to learn to lament and hope that you will vindicate us. So I pray that our hope would be in you, the maker of heaven and earth. We pray it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.